Lord Jesus, we do love you. We love you in all the parts of our lives, and we ask that you would open your word to us this morning to help us love you more, because we can only love you with your help. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to do a little survey here. How many of you love tomatoes? One of your favorite foods. Just, all right. How many of you hate tomatoes? Just really awful tasting things. And how many of you are just sort of indifferent? So-so, they're okay. Kind of in the middle. All right. Well, I have a theory, for those of you who don't like tomatoes or are just so-so, about why people are that way. It's because nobody has ever had a real tomato. The one, you probably know this, the ones you pick up in the store are picked off the vine while they're still green. And then they're taken to a warehouse and they're sprayed with a gas to turn them red. You're never going to eat a tomato again, right? And that's why, they're, that's why they're so hard and bitter and nasty tasting. Because they're not really ripe. They're still green tomatoes. But a real vine-ripened tomato, now that has, it's incredibly sweet, incredibly flavorful. It is just a different kind of vegetable or fruit or whatever it is. <laughs> then, which is it? Anyway, then the ones you get from the store. The problem for a lot of us is as Christians, we're living store-bought tomato lives. In this passage, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, but too often we are not attached to the vine. Jesus. And as a consequence, we're not getting ripe. Oh, maybe we come to church once a week for our gassing once a week, you know. <laughs> so we kind of look ripe on the outside. But inside, we're green and hard like store-bought tomatoes, and our Christian lives have no flavor. We're starting a new series today on relationships that give us life. We'll be looking at things like marriage and friendship and mentors and how they give us life. And the only place to start a series like that is with the relationship that gives us the most life, our relationship with Jesus. The promise Jesus gives in this text that we just read is that if we cling to him as a branch clings to a vine, then we will produce flavorful fruit in our lives. Things like joy, even in hard times, a deep connectedness to God, intimate, authentic relationships with other people, a sense of significance and purpose in life, and people coming up to us saying, your life is so flavorful. What do you have that I don't? Instead of living green, hard, tasteless, store-bought lives, we'll live abundant, flavorful lives. And this metaphor of Jesus as the vine and us as the branches tells us two things we need to do to have flavor in our life. And the first is this. We have to cling to the vine, Jesus. Jesus says, any branch that is unattached to me withers and dies, and it's only good for firewood at that point. But the branch that stays attached to the vine produces flavorful fruit. It's important to note here that Jesus says that he is the true vine, which implies that there are a lot of other vines that we could attach ourselves to. Things like career, success, money, even religion. If what we're concerned about is our religious activities rather than a relationship with Jesus. Those are false vines. To lead flavorful lives, we have to attach ourselves to Jesus, the true, true vine. 
Now, it's at this point in a sermon that I usually rattle off a list of ways that we can attach ourselves to Jesus. And I usually say a couple of words really fast. Worship, prayer, scripture. Worship, prayer, scripture. And I think I say it so fast that none of you know what I'm talking about. It's the whoops principle. Worship, prayer, scripture. So let me slow it down a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about how to pray. And many of you found that very helpful. So let me sort of unpack what those three words really look like in our lives. We connect to Jesus through worship. The way we do that is when we come in here, we we come not so much to critique the service or, or enjoy the service, but the first thing we do when we come in here is we pray and we say, God, I know you have something to say to me today. Help me to hear it. Lord, maybe it will come from a line from a song. Maybe it will be something the person next to me says. I, I don't know. I suppose it could even come in the sermon. Stranger things have happened. So, Lord, help me to hear what you have to say to me. And then help me to respond with my whole life. Because that's worship. And then you go through the service in anticipation. Just looking for the moment when God's going to speak to you. Now, some of you have said to me, that's, that's fine, that's all well and good, Scott. But the problem is... My mind wanders during worship. I feel very affirmed by that comment. But I want to tell you, it's okay, because sometimes my mind wanders too. Which is scary when I'm preaching. That's why participating in what's happening is so important. If someone's up here praying, pray the words with that person. Concentrate on the the words that you're singing or that are being sung by someone else. And then, during the sermon, if your mind wanders, that's okay. I absolve you of any guilt. Let it wander. But wander with Jesus. Because there may be something in the places you're wandering to that he wants to tell you when you get there. So let your mind wander with Jesus. Worship connects us to the vine, Jesus. A second thing that connects us to Jesus is Scripture. Read just a little bit of it every day. Maybe just half a chapter. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, because they're the easiest to understand. Read just a little bit of it, and as you read, do a couple of things. Read the passage and then paraphrase it. Just say to yourself, this is what this passage says. And then ask yourself, what don't I understand about this passage? And struggle with that for a little bit. If you can't figure it out, write it down and go ask someone later. And then ask, what does this passage tell me about what God is like? And what does this passage tell me about me and what I'm like? And how might this passage relate to something in my life? Get an easy translation to understand, like the NIV. Get a study Bible that has lots of notes to help you along. Read a paraphrase translation, like Eugene Peterson's The Message. Have people you can discuss it with, and be honest with it. If you come across something you don't like, say, I don't think I like that, Lord. Help me understand. If you come across something you have a hard time believing, say, Lord, I'm having a hard time believing it. Some of the most fruitful times for me in Scripture have come where I've struggled with a passage. I can remember in college once reading a, a passage where Jesus raises a man from the dead and struggling to believe it. And then I noticed this place where one of the bystanders says, don't open the tomb, it'll stink. And I thought, what a specific detail. If this were just a made up story, you wouldn't have that specific detail there. By struggling through the passage, rather than just glossing over it, my faith was strengthened. Spend a few minutes every day reading the Bible. Watch 15 fewer minutes of TV so you can do it. Get up a little bit earlier. 
Whatever it is, do a little bit each day. And don't expect that each time you read the Bible, the earth is going to move and there's going to be this dramatic transformation in your life. I think too often we open the Bible and we say, Okay, Lord, I'm here. Let the healing begin. Speak. I listen. (laughs) But that's not the way Scripture works. I think we treat the Bible like I treat my houseplants. I ignore them. I never water them. And then when they're looking kind of peaked and withered and about to die, I drown them with a bunch of water. And as a consequence, they never die, but they never really grow either. I think that's how we are with the Bible. We ignore it, we ignore it, and then we think we need a good dose of it, so we spend five hours reading Leviticus and wonder why it's not working. The vine bears fruit by being connected to the water daily, a little bit at a time each day. It's like eating. I've had 25,360 meals in my life, not counting breakfast this morning. Now, I can't remember hardly any of those meals that I've eaten. It's not like I could tell you what I ate for dinner on the 3rd of June in 1975, although it was probably meatloaf, <laughs> be my guess. I do not remember every meal I've eaten, but if I hadn't eaten them, I would be dead. It's the same with Scripture. It doesn't change us in one dramatic event. It's cumulative. It's daily taking in a little bit at a time that we slowly begin to see who God is, understand His character, And that connects us to him. Worship connects us to Jesus. Scripture connects us to Jesus. And finally, prayer connects us to Jesus, as I talked about two weeks ago. And as I said, when I pray, what I do is I just offload everything that's in my head, what I'm thankful for, what I'm worried about, my grocery list, whatever comes into my mind, until I get to a point where I don't have any more thoughts and then I listen. And sometimes I hear something and sometimes I don't. But at least I'm listening. And I also pray sporadically throughout the day. You know, Lord, I'm headed into this meeting. Help me be your representative. Lord, my kids are getting on my nerves. Help me to see them and love them the way you love them. Lord, I'm stuck in traffic on 520. Just plain old help. (laughs) Just remember, whoops. Worship, prayer, scripture. Keep us connected to the vine. And when we are connected to the vine, then we will naturally bear fruit. It is not our responsibility to make fruit happen in our lives. It's just the natural outcome of staying connected to Jesus. The branch doesn't have to force itself to bear fruit. It doesn't have to study fruit-bearing techniques. If the branch is connected to the vine, that's just what branches do. They bear fruit. So much of the time, I think we feel pressure to wump up some fruit in our lives. You know, I will be joyful. See? (laughs) No. In those moments, we are focused on the wrong things. The issue isn't the fruit. The issue is, are we connected to the vine? A few months ago, I was trying to start my computer, and it wouldn't turn on. And I was getting worried, and I kept trying to figure out what was wrong until finally I noticed it wasn't plugged in. (laughs) I have a PhD, so I can figure that out. It's great, right? When we ask, where's the fruit in my life, we're asking the wrong question. The question is, are we plugged in? As long as the branch is attached to the vine, it will produce fruit. Stay connected to Jesus. That's the first point. The second thing that needs to happen in order for us to bear fruit is that we have to be pruned. We have to be pruned. Every summer, I grow tomato plants. 
And one of my great flaws as a gardener is I hate to prune them because each branch has a flower. And maybe that flower will develop into the prize-winning tomato. You know, I could take it to the Puyallup Fair and, and everyone will say, what a big tomato you have, and that's just amazing, and I'll get a blue ribbon and it'll be really cool. So I don't prune that branch. The problem is I do that with every branch. And as a result, all the plant's energy goes into generating more and more leaves, but producing no fruit. And my tomato plants literally end up being five feet high and five feet around. They're not, they're not plants. They're tomato fortresses. <laughs> but they're all bush and no fruit. Or as they say in Texas, all hat and no cattle. And sometimes I think that's how we live our lives. We have so much going on, it takes up a lot of energy, but we're producing leaves, not fruit. We spend hours at work. We run the kids to and from soccer practice. We're involved in all kinds of volunteer activities. We work hard to accumulate more money, more prestige, and people say, my, what big leaves you have. What a beautiful house you must be successful. What great children you must be good parents. So many volunteer activities you must be a good person. What big leaves you have. And all of those things are good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if they take energy away from our relationship with Christ and his kingdom, then all we get are leaves and no fruit. No joy that lasts beyond the next purchase. No relationship that is so deep that you could tell that person anything. Even that. No real connection with God except for maybe our weekly gassing at church. And nobody knocking at our door saying, your life is so rich with things that really matter. What do you have that I don't have? All hat, no cattle. But God, our farmer, loves us so much. And he wants us to bear fruit, so he prunes us. He takes out any dead branches. Anything that's not bearing fruit in our lives, he removes it. But he also cuts off some of those big, green, beautiful, leafy things that look so good but take so much energy away from really devoting ourselves to him. And that pr pruning happens in a lot of ways. Sometimes we voluntarily get rid of some of those things. We cut back on the hours we work or we give up some unhealthy behaviors. Sometimes the events of life prune things away. In my garden, sometimes the wind comes along and breaks off a branch. I don't cause the wind, but I use the results of the wind to prune the plants and help them grow stronger. Sometimes bad things happen. God doesn't cause them, but he uses them. And sometimes God himself will take things from us in order that our energy can go into knowing him and producing fruits that last. To bear fruit, we need to be pruned. I have a friend who grew up in a family straight out of Ozzie and Harriet, even though she grew up in the 90s, not the 50s. She said she can remember that whenever her father came home, she and her two sisters would run to the door to greet him saying, Daddy, Daddy, you're home, as her mother, Donna Reed-like, would sashay out of the kitchen and kiss her husband on the cheek and say, How was your day, dear? After eating dinner together every night as a family, instead of watching TV, they'd gather around the piano and sing songs until bedtime, just like your family does, right? <laughs> I mean, she should have lived her life in black and white. It was perfect. But then when she was an adult, her parents divorced. Turned out her father had had several affairs and been verbally abusive to her mother. And this whole time, my friend never knew that. She was shattered because everything that she thought she knew was gone. And she kept asking God, where are you in this? But God was there. 
She got hooked up with an older woman in her 60s who became a mentor for her and, and taught her how to pray. Not just, here's what I want in Jesus' name, amen, but really listening to God and taught her how to read scripture. And slowly, things began to change. Instead of going out with friends every night, she'd stay home and pray, sometimes up to two hours a day. I can't imagine that. And it's not like she didn't have anything else to do. She was, a, she was an intelligent, attractive, successful Stanford graduate. She just preferred being with God. And after a few years of that, she began to reach out to her father and, and seek reconciliation with him because she figured that's what Jesus would want. Turned out God had been working in his life too. He'd reformed himself admitted his sins, asked for forgiveness for them. She ended up with a much closer relationship with him and with her mother. Meanwhile, at the same time, there was an atheist, atheist friend of hers who was watching this whole thing unfold, and he ended up becoming a Christian because he said, the kind of life I saw in her was proof positive to me that Jesus exists. There's a lot of pruning in that story. Some was just the result of human brokenness. God did not cause her parents' marriage to break up, but he used it. And some of the pruning was voluntary on her part. She voluntarily spent more time with God and less time entertaining herself. And some things God just took away, like her bitterness and her anger. And all of that pruning, all of that staying attached to Jesus, produced a lot of flavorful fruit in her life. One of the best things about her is her smile. She walks into the room and it's like someone turned on the lights. And she has deep and authentic relationships with, with good people in her life. And, and in a few months, she's going to marry her college sweetheart, a former student of mine, a professional baseball player who carries his Bible with him wherever he goes and maintains rock-solid character in a very challenging moral environment. A few months ago, she said to me, you know what? God didn't cause all that trauma in my life. He didn't like it. He didn't approve of it. But he sure did use it. And in a weird way, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Because she attached herself to Jesus, and because she was pruned, she's bearing fruit. So how are you doing? In terms of being attached to the vine, Jesus. And what things might you need to prune out of your life so that more of your energy can go into knowing him and bearing real fruit? You know, the kind of joy and purpose and connectedness to God that make other people say, who is this Jesus? I think I need to know him. How can you abide in Christ, the true vine, so that instead of a hard, green, bland, store-bought life, you can have a flavorful, abundant vine-ripened life, because that's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. It's the kind of life he died to give us. So let's reach out and take it. Lord Jesus, we really do just want a closer walk with you. So please help us to have that. Help us to connect ourselves to you. Lord, prune away anything that needs to go that's getting in the way of us knowing you better. And Lord, help us to walk day by day close with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.